Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E. G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And with a special guest for this week, my former film teacher, Kate. Hi. I guess I've already introduced you. I normally ask the guests to introduce themselves, and I've kind of done that anyway. But is, is there anything you want the listeners to know about you, I guess, and, and who you are? Probably not, actually. I don't yeah, want good to point. bore them any more than they need to be. <laughs> so what was your first experience with the film About Time? I watched About Time probably about three years ago and sobbed most of the way through it. I'm not a massive rom-com fan, generally, um, but there are some amazing ones out there. And, yeah, it kind of became in our household, uh, a favourite to the point that we actually bought copies for other members of the family to go away and watch. Um, it came at a time where that kind of father-son relationship really hit a nerve. And I think it's it's something that I've been able to re-watch, a little bit like Love Actually, in that sense. It's one of those feel-good but really, really relatable films. Um, and it's certainly one that we keep a copy of so that when the little one is old enough... He will also have the pleasure uh, and experience of it. That's good. You you seem to be one of the first people on the show to actually have appreciated it the first time round. Like, most people watched it once and then forget about it really quickly. And then as soon as they watch it again, it's like, oh yeah, this was good. And they just... (laughs) So, it's kind of weird like that. So, today, we're looking at 91 and 92 of About Time, and we, we open with Kit Kat in hospital after the crash, and... After Tim has decided that she needs to sort her own life out rather than him getting involved. And Robert, you were talking over the last couple of weeks about your your theory that there isn't actually any time travel in this film at all. And that it's a, a yeah. psychological way of sorting out yeah, the problem. Yeah, and Tim's so come, like, taking Kit Kat back really to... might as well just be in her head. Because it's like, imagine what you would have done differently, now do that. Because now it's just reset to the present anyway. Kit Kat says... Really, which is in response last episode to the question, uh, well, to her him mentioning how Jay has had a crush on her. Tim says, yeah. She says, weird. Uh, thinking of asking him to dinner, are you free? She says, might be. Might have to freshen up a bit first. And Tim says, yeah, you look shit. And that's where <laughs> this, this scene concludes. So, I mean, I guess before we go into the house, with which is where the majority of this minute takes place, is are there any sort of final thoughts on Kit Kat in... In hospital, on this whole exchange. Well, from you, Kate, I would be curious what you think of the whole Kit Kat, like him trying to go back and save, like fix her life, because we've had two weeks to talk about that. Mm. Yeah, I I hate it. Robert <laughs> likes it. So um, this is... Yes, I love it. <laughs> no, I think I I really like that um, kind of perspective on it. Actually, that kind of visualizing for the spectator the uh internal dialogue that somebody would have the hindsight that if you go but have the opportunity to go back you would do it this way um i i quite like that i hadn't thought about it in that sense actually very much watched it as a in an ideal world would you even do that and then start to compare to other things like you know 
take a darker turn on butterfly effect and other things and and how it always impacts in some way but you don't see that much here so actually the internal dialogue makes perfect sense I think what I really like about this scene uh, it was quite a nice one to start with because I thought in about 25 seconds it kind of just had a little snapshot of that really British comedy kind of (laughs) rom-com you know the dry wit sense of humor you know the people that you love telling you that you look to you sticking your middle finger up and actually through facial expression through the shots through gesture and very very minimal dialogue it was a real snapshot of British family life and that kind of yes things are but chin up and I'll take the piss out of myself. Am I allowed to swear? I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, well, well, some we bleep, some we don't. We see how it goes. Um, I generally tend to avoid it. Sorry, you're a former student. That's awful. Um, <laughs> is it that kind of self-depreciative sense that you get of Kit Kat in that? I, I, I quite like. And I also really, really liked, you kind of felt like you were in the hospital as the spectator. You you relate to that, whether you've been in it or you've been with somebody that has. You know, the diegetic sound, you can hear the beeps in the background. There's the kind of little bits of kerfuffle muted. As it makes it very, very real. And the shots are, you know, you I might think have it was a good choice to... for them to have filmed in a real hospital as well. Like, this isn't a set. They just took a room in a hospital and, and filmed in it. I think you can feel that because you've got, that noise and that yeah right down to you know the, the the props your blue and white nhs stuff your hospital gown in terms of costume but there's a little bit where you know she's taking you just see a, a little bit where she's taking the celebrations tub of chocolate off the hospital table and for us it's either grapes or it's heroes or celebrations when you go and see somebody in hospital and i thought that that was a really really nice real life touch you know the mechanics of it all was there but not to the extent that it was like an episode of house you know it didn't detract from mm. the characters in any way so yeah i mean we we go straight after that into mary and tim's home where joanna's looking after <laughs> the child and joanna is very glad <laughs> that mary's back because she said it's been a total nightmare and tim says i know it's all fine anyway where is she she said it's the single <laughs> worst night of my life Where's Posey? And obviously Tim's so excited to see Posey because he's, he's, last time he went to see Posey, it was a different child. So he sort of has to, oh, are we assuming, Robert, that this is the first time he's seen Posey since the, the child swap? Uh, I don't think he would have stayed for days at the hospital without checking on that. But for the movie purposes, the feeling is the same. It's the first time we've seen Posey, so it's still that. And we see that it's the same Posey. Um, They didn't do a third kid. Yeah, it's very, uh, very surprising that Tim, as we discussed before, somehow manages to go back in time to stop himself from going back in time and saves that. Yeah. And the the question of that then opens up the whole series of stuff later on with why he can't go back and see his dad if he doesn't then stop himself afterwards from going back and seeing his dad. I don't know. It's just this. This is the main problem. As I said, I love this film, but the main problem I have with this whole thing is if I feel like it brings up more questions than it answers i think that's quite typical well, maybe he does maybe he doesn't remember the thing he erases mm. and it's quite typical of time travel as a, a theme i think 
yeah. you know, you can sit, watch time, any film with time travel in and pull it apart. And people love to do that. You know, you go to the deep undergrounds of Reddit or scroll down far enough on IMDb and you will find a 101 things that are wrong with any time travel movie. So I think you kind of have to suspend disbelief. <laughs> it's there. It's a thing. And, you know, in context, I can kind of forget the little bits like that, I suppose, because as a whole, it's, it's, it does what you want it to as an audience, I think. Mm. And I think it is one of those things where it's like, what would be the point? I mean, obviously when we're dissecting it here, it's different, but if, if you watch the film and you decided to fall apart, yeah, it would fall apart in pieces, but then you've just ruined it for yourself. Like mm. it's, it's a time travel film that's not about time travel. Mm. So why get caught up in that? I guess is the main thing. Which, yeah, you don't approach it as a science fiction. Yeah. Which I know is kind of ironic because we're getting caught up in that, but we have done weeks and weeks of praising the film. Except mm-hmm. you and Macintosh, Big Keith from The Office, he came on and hated on the entire film, so <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> yeah, so Tim says, where's Posey? And Joanna says, how is his sister? She's okay. And then we have Tim, so you know, finds Posey and goes, there she is. Hello, 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 darling. How are you doing? And it's just, it's odd here, really, that, uh, well, Richard Curtis commented on the commentary even, that, you know, when when he's so excited to see Posey, she's really upset. And obviously that he, he said that wasn't, you know, a deliberate decision, it was just the baby happened to be crying at that point, and they can't really do yeah. much about mm-hmm. that. I think it really works. I guess it's realistic. I think it really works, though, and I think all, and or, it was dealt with really well afterwards, because the contrast between the this screaming child that you know and we don't see the the character that obviously greets them at the door and it's the worst night of her life we don't see her face at that point we see her from the back she is not important but what she's got to say about the child is and then her dialogue fades off and we don't follow her we follow him to his child and there's this whole daddy daughter thing despite the fact that she is as described currently being a devil child, probably teething, crying the house down. And it, it it's chaos, but he's blinkered and he can see through that because it's it's daddy's little girl. But then I think that works really well against the next bit where he's on the floor playing with her before it goes to let's have another one. Because then it's it's total calm. It's calm and it's serene. And you see, you know, she sat at the table... And I think that contrast, it's all of a sudden he's got this moment of peace and he's got this little snapshot that he wants life to be like. And it's, let's have another one. And I think if you hadn't had that awful screaming, crying child before, that moment wouldn't have been quite so uh, well received. So, yeah, so then we do have Tim asking, well, saying to Mary, let's have another one, which I think is possibly even talking now about like his less reliance on time travel because... This is literally, you know, days after he found out that once he has a child, he can't go back before then. And he's willing to give up the past year like that. Mm. Which Mary, of course, responds with, oh, screw that. No, that hurt. And I got fat, like fat, fat. Yeah. And I I do like Tim's. It it, it feels really realistic, his way of incorporating Posey into it and saying, got a little (laughs) bit fat, didn't she? Tell mummy you want a sister. And it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's such... It, it it always surprises me how real this film manages to get, like, because I feel like, for the most part, I mean, yeah, characters like Uncle Desmond are just there, and you hope you don't know an Uncle Desmond. Mm-hmm. Although, as Robert said, if you don't know an Uncle Desmond, maybe you are the Uncle Desmond. Yeah. But um, it's, for the most part, these are these do feel like 
real genuine people that you have experiences with and i think that's one thing that richard curtis is really good at doing in just writing real people like i, I love the uh the film he did with bill nye that's not as well known called the girl in the cafe which is one of his only solid drama films but it is so powerful because all the characters in it just feel so raw and so real that i think people often talk about richard curtis looking at notting hill and love actually and that that sort of thing and say that he sort of romanticizes britain say he's got his own sort of upper class image and yes it obviously is an upper class perspective but still there's just everyone feels like someone you know Mm. and i think very few writers can capture it as well as that so i mean robert if we and and Kate, have we got any concluding thoughts on this minute? I mean, we haven't talked as much about visuals, I guess, um, Robert, as we normally do. Mine, mine is a visual note that bugs me because by the stairs, there's this weird corner that has what looks like stones just sticking out of it. And it looks really dangerous for people with a kid. <laughs> or dangerous for everyone. It's next to the stairs. Yeah. I've fallen down stairs. That's, you don't want sharp things nearby. There is that kind of oh, rustic yeah, chaos odd. in the whole house, I think, as well. You kind mm-hmm. of, there's a focus, I think, in the kitchen before they're calm and sitting down and playing and having the shall we have another one chat. You know, the, the washing up is all in the sink. And then after when she sat down with a cup yeah. of tea, you've got the colander washed and, and on the side. And, mm. you know, as they come in through the front door, you've got this lovely kind of high key lighting, light, airy space. But then actually the furniture is really rustic the kind of thing that you'd snag your cardigan on every time you go past and then i look at her costume and think she she wouldn't last in that house a week with that furniture in that place Um, i don't know if you call these a uh, split level in in britain but i think this is literally the first split level house i've ever seen in a movie set in england i didn't know you had those (laughs) i'm gonna have to google what that means it's it's where the the entrance there's the entryway and then it's like halfway between the lower floor the upper floor. yeah it's not very common not very common to then have to walk down into your kitchen from there that that kind of yeah. comes across as though they've had an extension put on onto mm-hmm. which is quite typical of that area where you know you get into a mortgage which is nearly a million and then you have to spend your whole life in it because it's cost you so much money and you just extend and extend and extend and it, the house kind of has that kind of feel because a lot of it is you see it in low-key lighting, very rustic colours, yellows, reds, oranges. And then in the kitchen and that bit where he's playing, it's very light and bright mm-hmm. at the back yeah. of the house. And we've talked quite a lot about how the backgrounds as well and the colours of the backgrounds tend to match a lot of the characters and what they're mm-hmm. wearing, well, and they especially even in this scene. Mm. Even here, yeah, like Mary's grey matches the sink behind her, Posey. Yeah matches the wall behind her and tim matches the curtains i think it's it's an easy way of us feeling at home with these characters to know that they're it they're makes comfortable you comfortable yeah, they belong why desmond and Kit Kat stand out so mm. much sorry what were you saying i was saying no they they do they blend quite nicely the color palette is one that allows you to be comfortable as an audience but it also allows you then to spot the flags in characters where you shouldn't necessarily be comfortable or in situations where it, you're supposed to feel uneasy. I noticed in the, in the bit before in the hospital as well, you know, the, the dark blues and the grey uh, and the black, kind of the outfits blend. They don't take away or detract from anything. And the outfits in the home right. kind of complement. They're quite muted and understated as if it's focusing on the people and the situation 
and it doesn't want to detract away from that too much. And it, and it makes things like Mary's wedding dress stand out mm. because it's one of the only times someone wears red in the movie. Yeah. And it draws your eye to that scene. Mm. Yeah, weirdly, the only other scene we can think of where someone wears red is Mary right in the scene that, straight yeah. before. Yeah, it's mm. straight into 92. Mary just responds to Tim's comment saying, no, tell daddy you're happy being an only child. <laughs> and we've got this beautiful narration that he gives, um, which is, it, it's nice to have the narration back again, because mm. it's, it's, it's some parts of the film, it's really present, other parts, like, well, did you say it's like 40 minutes at one point that we go? Yeah, there's a narration? 40 minute stretch without it. Which, I mean, you don't notice, but there is, it, there, there is just wonderful. I guess the narration is mostly just in a passage of time, isn't it, more than anything? Uh, yeah. There are points where it isn't, but for the most part. And Tim says, fortunately, we are young and careless, and it wasn't long before there were four of us. Mm. And I, 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 I do... I like that he uses the present tense. Yeah. Because he doesn't in his narration most of the time. Mm. He says, we are young and careless. I'm, I'm noticing more and more the comment that Richard Curtis said that Bob Geldof made about the film, that in every scene people are wearing jumpers, and <laughs> it's, yes. it's really bugging me now. It's, it's nice character-wise, and I, I do love this shot that we have straight after narration with Tim and Posey because Tim's narration of Posey while they're running here is so similar to James's narration when he's playing table tennis with Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just so, like his father. So Tim says, and this is incredible, Posey Lake, only three years old, is about to break the women's 10-meter Olympic record. They're going to do it, and here they are. They've done it. Fantastic. That was brilliant. You're so good. And Mary comments that do, do we know the other child's name? Uh, no, but it's Jeff. We don't know it yet. I don't know if they ever say it, actually. But it's credited like as do. Jeff. <laughs> so she says that Jeff was sleeping right through all that. It is just a lovely, brief way to show the passage of time. And Richard Kurt has commented on, on the commentary about the fact that they went on... Um, he says he's pretty sure they went through every union-registered redhead child before <laughs> <laughs> casting. And t- Tim just says that it, all, all the children were... Well, Donald said that all the children were his, and there's a whole joke there, but... Yeah, so this this bit we've got... I mean, have we got any other comments on to... Uh, on, on well, this? I'm the, I'm the location guy, so I'll point out there are Cleveland Gardens. So still the same general area of London. I think, for me, I like the the passage of time. I like the narration. I like the growing relationship between father and daughter... Because we go from being in the house and you've got that kind of two shot where you're switching between mum and dad, essentially, one kind of off centre left and one off centre right. And then you've got the in the centre shot, you know, you've got a two shot of dad and child, both at the same level. And then the the space in the middle is crossed with contact. And, it, it you know, it really brings your focus into that that's quite a close developing relationship, but he's still slightly at arm's length because, it, well, it's a toddler. What do you do with it? It, it constantly does something that you don't expect. Um, and then you've got this, it yeah. then goes into this lovely, uh, it, it's so well framed. You've got that kind of three-point perspective with the railings on the one side and the, the line of trees on the other, and it draws the eye. Although Mary's at the front, kind of in the right she's slightly out of focus and your attention is on that green stripy child and the dad and that kind of we've mm-hmm. gone from being at the same level to her looking up to and him looking down to 
to then bringing her up as he comes further forward back onto the same level again. And I just thought that was a really nice way of showing how that's developed. And it's not arm's length now necessarily closing the gap. It, it's like tight hugs and throws in the air. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was really but well even shot. His, and that the, even his dialogue fits it because he's saying Posey's going to break the women's record and then he switches to they're going to do it and here they are. Like he turns it into a plural. Yeah, absolutely. They are line. kind of one and I think that's mm-hmm. that's so sweet. The focus there, certainly in terms of positioning within the frame uh, and how it's shot is is all on how that relationship is developing and we see that through the gesture and the performance yeah. and the dialogue. Hmm. So uh, before we go into the exchange that we have in a moment in the house, every Monday, as of a couple of weeks ago, we like to read a really bad review of About Time, just to have laughs about it. I so tried this to find one, a, a professional critic's bad review, and I haven't found one yet. That's good. There was one that <laughs> that's like, sort of didn't care, but it, it, was, it was so kind of blah. So it this one... These reviews are read for comic purposes and are the views of the reviewer, not the podcast host. The reviewer's name is removed to avoid any unnecessary hate or spamming. And now, on with the show. This one is from On Letterboxd. One star. It opens with, its review just says, Bill Nye, you see, son, all the men in our family have the ability to time travel. Donald Gleason, what? What about the women? Bill Nye, Oh no, son, that would have given them narrative agency. Anyway, have fun using your powers to get away with being a total <laughs> manipulating and stalking women while you craft yourself a perfect life formed on the basis of exploitation and lies. And that's his review. That's a good that's review. That's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a legitimate complaint about this You want to come at it song. from a feminist angle? That's brilliant. Yeah, I, um, it is. The, the only way I've excused different ways in how some of the women are portrayed in this film. Mary's better than Charlotte, obviously is that we're looking at Tim as a narrator, so we're sort of seeing them all from Tim's perspective rather than as they may may have been. Well, then you get into a whole mm. big, larger cinema thing is, well, of course we have Tim as a narrator because films center on the male all the time. Yeah, male patriarchy. But then you just go watch uh, Time Traveler's Wife with Rachel McAdams and you're fine, I think, because that one's focused on her. <laughs> Although, incidentally, her, yeah, her other time travel film, Midnight in Paris, is once again focused around... The man. The man, yeah. She hasn't been the time traveller yet, so that's what we're waiting for, the Rachel McAdams time traveller movie, which surely has got to happen eventually. Maybe we'll have to write it. <laughs> so we go into Later at Home, where Tim and Posey are colouring, and <laughs> Mar- Mary rushes downstairs and says, Can you help me? I'm so nervous. What do I wear for dinner with our best-selling author? Tim says, Let me finish up with the monsters and I'll come right up. Great, thank you. Go again? Okay, what about this? She says, wearing a blue dress. He says, that's gorgeous, job done. She said, no, take it seriously, it's... I don't know. No, I hate it. And Tim says, yeah. She says, boring, and makes me look kind of lumpy. Yeah, no, you're right, it is boring and lumpy. I hate it. And we conclude the minute with her saying, okay. So obviously this exchange carries on into the next couple of minutes, but I mean, Mm -hmm. what what, what are we getting so far from from this whole scene? Before we even get to the dresses, I love that uh, Tim and Posey's coloring seems to be competitive because he's like, go again, and they both start coloring really fast. It's like they're, yeah. they're competing to color, which is funny. He seems a bit frantic even at that point, yeah. you know, and you do kind of get, I think, you, the shot shifts from her to him and then and then back again. And I love the way that as he looks at, at Mary, so does the toddler. Um yeah. 
And I think we start to see you've got this massive kind of build up at this point, but it's done so subtly. We can see that he's, you know, it kind of looks like the end of a day. He's trying to entertain a toddler that should have probably been in bed a little while ago and just needs to do 101 things and keep everybody happy. And you're starting to see him there. So it's kind of the start of the unravel for him before the kind of destruction bit. And I really, really like that. And that, that little bit of colouring that you mentioned there, you know, he really goes frantically as if it's a little bit of therapy or release for him, uh, more for him than for her. Um, I think that's, that's really, really sweet. And we, and we get an echo of Kit Kat with the uh, finish up with the monsters. They're colouring monsters. Or he's calling the kid mm-hmm. a monster. No, they don't have a second kid yet, right? Oh, they do. I, I don't I, know if I the kids are the thought... monsters or they're colouring monsters. But I'd always nice presumed it was the kid, but maybe it was the monsters. If he's referring to the drawing or the colouring as the monsters, then it genuinely proves how invested he is in what he's doing. Yeah. But my assumption was always that he was referring to the kids, but I don't know. Uh, Can we talk actually about how Donal and Rachel, whilst not ageing, age nine years over this film? Like, it's just, you know, their their, their faces don't age. Well, her hair changes a little. Mm. She keeps the fringe for the most part. It it gets a little longer and her hair... Her hair changes slightly. His, he, yeah, basically stays the same. Which, considering the comments several times in the film about his bad haircuts, it's like, does he not change it once in nine years? I mean, it's not that bad. I don't get why they comment on it as a bad haircut, <laughs> but it's, it's just fine. <laughs> so have, have we any other thoughts on 92 before we wrap up this Monday and look at 93 and 4 in Wednesday? We'll talk about it next week, but I, I think the blue dress is nice. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, Kate, if the listeners wanted to find you on social media, where could they find you? Oh, well, good question. Um, if you want them to find you. Yeah, if you want them to find if, you. <laughs> if they want me to, if I want them to find me. Um, I'm on and off of Twitter. Um, I know you've got my Twitter handle, which is teachergeek101. Um, I'm on and off. There's a lot of teacher politics out there at the moment. So I kind of uh, remove myself from that a little bit. It can get a bit much. But I do like to pop on and see what's going on, certainly uh, in terms of entertainment and film. I also have Instagram, which I can't remember my Instagram handle, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I I never follow myself, so I don't know. I, I set them up and then I, I leave them alone. And I am on LinkedIn as well. But I again, I'm really quite boring, so I can't imagine anybody wanting to follow me much. And Robert, where can the listeners find you? Robert E.G. Black on social media or lemmingdrops.com to find links to everything. Listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. The listeners can also find me on Instagram at the Ginger Luke, on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. All podcasts, radio appearances, short films, newspaper articles that I'm involved in, anything I'm slightly involved in is at lukeallen.co.uk. And this show is on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Mins About Time. They can also join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to discuss all things to do with About Time and this podcast in general. Thanks so much for listening. Robert, I forgot to search for interesting ways to say goodbye. Have you got any interesting ways to say goodbye today's episode? No, I already threw out my Korean one that I knew at many episodes ago. I don't know any other. We'll just leave it here. There we go. (laughs) The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs>